This morning we continue with our series called But God as we think about the transforming power of Jesus, especially seen in these Easter weeks after the resurrection uh, and seen in God's power. Luke 24 is where we find our story today. In the Gospel of Luke, this is actually coming right after Jesus has revealed himself to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And the disciples are gathered and it says, While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness, he said to them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish. Taking it, he ate it in front of them. Jesus said to them, These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And a change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I went to a college that was steeped in the holiness tradition. In their roots and in their DNA, they had some long-standing beliefs about what was permissible to do and what was not permissible to do. For the better part of their history, things considered fun were often not permissible acts. For instance, card playing had been frowned upon for a very long time, had been given up by the time I got there. But I understand not wanting students to play in high-stakes games of poker. But playing go fish or hearts never really hurt anyone, to my knowledge. The school overturned its no-dancing policy only after I graduated. For those of you who have seen me groove, you know that I broke this policy on an almost daily basis. There were many other rules as well, which types of movies we could and could not watch. Not being allowed to wear shorts into the chapel, God forbid, things like that. Some of these legacy policies were built on an understanding of holiness that seemed to think that everything in this created world is bad. Christians should be people who avoid these things at all costs in an effort to be holy, or at least really weird, or extremely tempted to break the rules at all times. Another example. There are people who think that the earth is a resource to be plundered and completely used up by humanity. Many have this view because they think the whole earth is just going to be blown up by God at the end of the time, and we must be pretty close to that time. So issues like stewardship of the earth, caring for creation and its resources, aren't considered all that important in that view. And God's call in the beginning of creation for humans to take care of the earth gets translated like dominate the earth and not care about the natural ecosystems that our technology can destroy. Another picture of this type of thinking plays its way out in how we talk about death and dying in our culture. The idea is some form of escapism, 
in this mode of thought, we, one day we will escape these broken bodies and this sin-ridden earth and our souls will float up to heaven. This might even be the way that prevails among most Christians today when we think about what happens after we die. The only problem with it is that it's not biblical. And when we think about life after death as just escaping our bodies and our planet, then of course we don't care what happens to them necessarily today. Then in walks the resurrected Jesus. I contend that our picture today in Luke 24 of the resurrected Jesus should inform how we think about what will happen to our bodies. And when we recognize what will happen to our bodies in resurrection, it changes the way we live today. In our reading today, Jesus is all of a sudden in the midst of the disciples who are gathered, and he offers them his greeting of peace. And the text says they were terrified and afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. In many ways, this resurrection appearance in Luke's gospel is here to prove that Jesus was in fact not a ghost. So Jesus tells them to look at him and to touch him. In other words, use all of your senses so that you can tell this man standing before you is not an apparition. He is not a figment of your imagination. Of course the disciples were frightened and alarmed. They had never seen anyone who had risen from the dead before. But Jesus helps the disciples move beyond this frightened state. Then I love what Jesus says. He says, touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. Flesh and bones. This Jesus who stood before them was not a hologram, not like those who die in a Star Wars movie and somehow come back to talk to people through a droid in the present day. No, this Jesus had real flesh and bones. His physical body was recognizable. He still had the scars from the nails of crucifixion. When Paul talks about the physical body being raised in his letters, he writes that our resurrected bodies will in some way be more physical. So this is no ghost. They can touch the flesh and see the bones of Jesus. And then Jesus asks maybe what is my favorite question. Do you have anything to eat? Now first off, this question is humorous. In the Gospels, Jesus seems to eat like a teenage boy. He is always gathering people together to have a feast somewhere. Maybe it's some proof that the body isn't all bad and that enjoying the fruits of the earth is not sinful. Jesus is hungry. Can you picture being there? The disciples were afraid. Now they've moved on to questioning and wondering what is going on with this Jesus in front of them. And he says to them, he said, you got any food? This question is also very purposeful. For in the culture at that time, there were many stories about ghosts of famous people, powerful people coming back to visit, but they could never eat. So this is Jesus proving in another way beyond sight and touch that he's real. He eats some fish right in front of them, proving his real bodily presence. It's only after Jesus moves the disciples beyond fear and wonder and confusion that he can open their minds. And when Jesus opens their minds, he's able to explain to them how his entire ministry, including the last few days of his death and resurrection, fits into God's story of scripture all along. And then he commissions the disciples. He tells them that they are witnesses of these events and that they will start from Jerusalem and move out from there proclaiming forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. 
Every week in the Creed, we proclaim these words, I believe, or we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Here's my question. Do we? Do we believe in the resurrection of the dead? I mean, we might have no problem with the phrase that on the third day, Jesus rose again, but the resurrection of the dead? Isn't that just a tradition? Shouldn't we be more scientifically practical about what we believe and proclaim today? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote it this way, If Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins, and what's more, those who have died in Christ are gone forever. If we have a hope in Christ only in this life, then we deserve to be pitied more than anyone else. Here's how resurrection works in the Bible. Jesus was raised, and we will be too. What we are called to proclaim and to be as followers of Jesus is practitioners of resurrection. The resurrection of the dead is not just an idea to be believed in. It is a way of life to be practiced. Stephen Cooper says it this way, to insist on the reality of the resurrected body is to demand that we accept our present reality as the place where transformations of ultimate significance take place. In other words, the resurrection is not about escapism. It is not about our souls floating away when we die. Believing in the resurrection of the dead means a belief that Jesus is going to resurrect these very bodies and indeed restore this very earth. To follow Jesus is to proclaim resurrection with our lives. Instead of trying to avoid the joys of this world, like some of the forebears of my college community did, we join the resurrected Jesus and ask, what have you got to eat? It means that we enjoy the bodies that God created as good, the community that we can experience with others, the delights of good food and drink. Christians should not be the people who don't have any fun. Instead, we should exemplify a delight in true fellowship and communion with one another. It also means that we believe that God created this earth good and intends for us to be stewards of it. Christians should be the very people who take care of the planet. Somehow, when Jesus returns, God is going to remake this earth and we will live there eternally. A new heaven and a new earth is how scripture talks about it. So we have a responsibility to care for this planet in which we live. And because we are practitioners of the resurrection, we can truly proclaim hope to people and situations that seem dire. We are called to bring the logic of resurrection to these places and to these people. It is not the dangerous belief of escapism that the only hope is that one day you get to leave all this. It is the wonderful practice of resurrection. We get to embody and live in this life as if the new creation is already present, even though it's not completely here. N.T. Wright says it this way in his book, Surprised by Hope. He says, our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day. Friends, we live as resident aliens in this land. We are resurrection people in a world of death. Honestly, this is what the work of the church is. We are to be practitioners of resurrection. 
Eugene Peterson, in his book, Practice Resurrection, says it this way. He says, the practice of resurrection is not an attack on the world of death. It is a nonviolent embrace of life in the country of death. It is an open invitation to live eternity in time. It often feels like death is the end, that we are terminal. But God creates life and resurrects our flesh and bones. Here's why this idea of the resurrection of the body matters. It's because this life, this body matters. God created us good and created the world good, and these bodies and this world in which we find ourselves are fallen. Because Jesus rose from the dead, so will we. God is in the work of resurrection of our bodies and the restoration of this world, and that work is what we join and practice. It will be completed when Jesus returns. So we practice resurrection wherever we are because Jesus rose from the dead and we will too. This redemption song, this story is a powerful one. It's powerful because God didn't mess anything up creating you or me or the world. Rather, God is in the work of healing, restoring, and bringing all things into right relationship with God's very self. And God invites us to join in that inexhaustible, compelling, and hope-filled work. Thanks be to God. Amen.